Welcome to Convos and Cocktails, where we engage, you listen, and we all drink. I'm your host, Lesoko Tlavi, and I'm ready to whine a little and laugh a lot with our guest. On today's episode, we have Pumi Murare, a director, is that what we call you? Mm-hmm. Yes, director in <laughs> studio, and we'll be discussing matters of pivoting at a later stage, also her career, her movie, um, and the cocktail today is a Cosmopolitan. We ask guests to choose a cocktail. Is there a specific story you have with a Cosmo? Uh, why do you like it so much? Um, unfortunately, it's not that deep. It's literally, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it's literally. I love the shape of the glass that they normally come in mm-hmm. when you order them at at like bars and stuff, and the color. And then um, I was reading that Sex and the City made the Cosmo like popular, and that yeah. was like one of those like series of the millennial generation that like one of those series that empowered women. So yeah. That's why. <laughs> no, the first time I had one, I thought I was on Six in the City. I was very, uh, very bougie. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Welcome to the, the podcast. Cheers. Thank you for making time. Oh, finally a good That's cocktail. Good. Yeah. I've had a series of people choosing very bitter. Like I'm a sweet oh, really? drinks girl. I'm also a sweet drink person. Oh, so they've been they've been very bitter cocktails so far. So I'm very oh. grateful <laughs> on this morning to have a delicious cocktail. So I want to start with uh, all things broader and okay. then get into your specific career. Okay. So you were in finance. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, Pumi Murare, like I said, is her name. <laughs> um, you live in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were in finance, um, and when did you decide to stop and pivot? Because now she's a director in film, living in LA, <laughs> dreams. Yeah, yeah so. uh, it was actually a long journey. So I fell in love with film in high school, actually, mm-hmm. but then I didn't know that you can make it a career, and I was good at math, so that that's why I like went into finance mm-hmm. because my parents encouraged me to do like something in accounting or business and and things like that. So I went into finance. My first job was um, in investment banking in London, and I think it was two years in where I felt like really unfulfilled, and I was working so hard, like nine a.m. to midnight, kind mm-hmm. of working. And I was like, if I'm going to give myself like over to something this much then it better be something I actually like and that's when the itch to find what it is that I like came and it took me I think four years which included a job change to consulting to Mm -hmm. actually like make the leap um actually probably even longer I think it took me five years yeah but um I started kind of I knew that I had this like itch to do film and then mm-hmm. I started going to film festivals and networking with people and I started doing short courses and then eventually after moving back to Joburg I met a producer who gave me an internship mm-hmm. and that was like my first way in Okay, yeah. so now with studying finance um, because I also have a, a pivoting journey and I feel like the reason why I wanted you to come here is because I mean the stories are quite similar you're obviously a little bit ahead <laughs> but I mean the not stories are similar <laughs> in terms of like you know starting something not feeling fulfilled changing in your like later 20s or and then finding your sort of your passion but what is the um, the catalyst that made you actually quit because other than you know was it the offer of the of the internship or was this something that you were like no matter if I don't have a job I'm I'm out <sighs> so I think it was I was in this program in consulting that had like a two year time frame and mm-hmm. I I reached the end of that and I had to decide okay what am I going to do now during that program they allowed me to do like external in- internships and mm-hmm. that's how I did the film 
internship. So I had to decide, am I going to continue at this management consultancy or am I going to do something else? And initially... I was too scared and I stayed. So they gave me an offer to stay and I stayed. And then I was miserable. And I guess I had a series of conversations with friends. And one of my friends said to me, you know, Pumi, if you don't do the thing you love, then your soul starts to die. And I was like, you? Literally. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah. And then another friend said to me, you know, what's the worst that could happen one day when you look back on your life, usually you regret the things you didn't do mm. more than the things you did. And he's like, you could always go and try and then it doesn't work back. out. Yeah. So then that those like conversations with like friends who knew me well helped mm. me. And so after like a few months having accepted the offer to stay, I went back to them. I'm like, actually, I want to be. I'm sure they were very excited. To <laughs> and yeah. your parents, like, how did they deal with it? Because was it their pressure um, for you to do finance in the first place? Or is this just something that maybe you didn't know what else was out there? And so you followed that path? Yeah, yeah my parents were not happy. <laughs> Like I remember when I was in high school and they got their friends who were in finance to come and speak to me and say, you would be good doing this. You're good at maths and stuff. You like business. So when I stepped off that path, they were very kind of confused. They Mm. thought I was going through a weird phase. (laughs) Quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis, yes. (laughs) And also like in high school when I had done, um, I used to do speech and drama as Mm. well. And they were like, Oh, that's like really nice for like a hobby, (laughs) you know. So, oh my um, gosh, we have the same parents. (laughs) They literally said the same thing. Because, FYI, to those listening, um, both Pumi's parents and my parents are doctors. So I'm surprised (laughs) they didn't push you into like sort of the medical lane. But also for me, I was told just do a BCom and then you can pursue your hobbies on the side. I was like, well, acting is not a hobby. It's kind of what I want to do. Yeah. Um, But yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's it was really like the dream that I would be like an executive one day. Mm-hmm. And so when I stepped off that path, I think they just thought like all of their hard work <laughs> and everything. Yeah, I was going down the drain. And I felt bad because I was like, yeah, my parents worked so hard to, you know, give us all these opportunities. But then the way I saw it and the way I tried to position it mm-hmm. to them is that you should also be proud that you have worked so hard that you have given me the opportunity to fulfill my dreams I don't have to just think about how am I going to survive I can actually self-actualize and that's that's something that's really special and doesn't come by to everyone so I tried to like help them accept it that way (laughs) I think for me what I also did was like when I was trying to tell them about dropping out it was like you guys took us to schools where people are doing the craziest things like white kids (laughs) get to do painting and then pursue that as a career and obviously they have trust funds and things to fall back on but the one thing that you did by taking us to these schools is showing us anything is possible so by saying okay these are the only three things as if it's still like 1980 it's like oh guys please understand it's different (laughs) now like people can make a career out of I mean making videos that's literally what I do so um, but no you do so much more than that I mean sure but I just mean (laughs) that's one of the things that you can do now Mm -hmm. Um, but for you was there ever a time where your finance actually became a passion did you think that okay look this is what I have to do and I'm gonna and I'm actually enjoying it or were you always in that position where you were like fuck my life yeah I think the reason I stayed as long as I did is because I did find something that I liked in it um making money (laughs) (laughs) well I mean it wasn't even that it was like I I like 
business. And mm-hmm. I like thinking about the way business works. I like thinking about the economy, socioeconomic issues and things like that. So that has always been of interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I was doing it full time, it just wasn't like fulfilling me. And I would see some of my colleagues like some of the passion that they had and I would be like wow I wish I could be passionate like that (laughs) about what we're doing so I stayed long because I found something that was interesting like for example one aspect of my job that I really used to like was research and Mm -hmm. I used to like research like different industries and that was really fascinating to me and also I got to write as well like my research reports and so that kind of went into my love of writing already Mm -hmm. But um, but when I thought of like the broader meaning, because like I am very like meaning driven, yeah. it was just not fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, I think it's also very you know like this moment where you where you're good at something, um, but you also know that you can use those skills in something else because being good at business, being yeah. good at research, is very very helpful in the world of filmmaking. Yeah. Um. So what were your first steps to applying and and taking the leap, and why LA? Yeah, it's funny because uh, when I left London, I was like, I'm going home for good mm-hmm. because I really like home. <laughs> me, well, me too, but you, sort of in a past tense way now. Oh, okay. I well, know, we should talk about sad. that. <laughs> it's yeah. very sad. Yeah, but like um, I wanted to, so when I started working for this producer, I realized that I didn't actually just want to do producing. I wanted to write and mm-hmm. direct. And so he was kind enough to let me um take time off work to shoot short films and I was like yes I definitely need to write and direct but I'm so far behind all of my peers I need to go to school Mm -hmm. so I looked um, for schools locally actually but a lot of them wanted me to do a bachelor's again Yeah, and I was like I don't want to do like at my age I think I was in my late 20s I was like at my age I don't want to do another bachelor's and also be like going to school with high school students (laughs) I mean recent like high school students so um, some of my mentors said, oh, if you go abroad, they actually let you do a master's. Mm. So I think also um, in this industry, just for me, I learned, like, I don't think bachelor's is that important. And yes. I don't want to send the kids off the path of education, but, like, training. I mean, once I got my bachelor's, I didn't know anything. I had to learn on the job. So yes. I wish there were more training places in SA um, yes, than there are would, education places. Yes, that definitely would have been helpful as well. Because for me, I was just, like, I was looking for either, like, an apprenticeship kind mm. of thing where I can, like, learn as I watch someone or like a school kind of environment where you can have like focused learning yeah Yeah. practical learning so I looked for um, masters that were practical Mm -hmm. Um, and so I applied in the UK and in the US um, and then I got into two schools in the US And it's funny because I was actually kind of sad to leave, (laughs) but I knew it was going to be good for me. I knew I was going to network um, with like people from all over the world, get opportunities within like, I guess what people consider the center of like global filmmaking Mm -hmm. um, and also get to be taught by people who are, you know, like global filmmakers. So, so for me, I was like, this is worth it, but I am sad to leave home. Um, and that's how I got to LA. And then I, when I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> um, and I, I stayed for my career, but I do 
miss home a lot. And so right now I want to kind of live between both. I mean, that's that's an option too. But I, I can tell you, having worked in the industry here, I don't know what it's like in America. And I'm still hoping to make that leap myself next year or the year after. But I just, it's it feels kind of hopeless at this point sometimes. Like the, the stories I'm seeing come through, amazing. I'm glad Netflix is giving essay movies and stories a chance like that. Yeah. But having worked like in it, it's just some some chaos <laughs> shit really? goes down yeah, yeah I, I also I mean I graduated from London mm-hmm. did my BA there and was like I'm gonna go home and make movies at home yes. and make comedy a thing an essay and like people who graduate after me don't have to think about leaving it's mm-hmm. it's gonna be possible and I wanna make I wanna be part of making that door you know open Yeah. but having been here for like seven years now it's just it's, it keeps feeling like more and more despondent I don't feel oh. like new people are given a chance I don't feel like new stories so Girl, stay. <laughs> Do the bi-coastal <laughs> thing, but as much as you can, stay. Um, oh. So now let's talk about your movie. Mm. Yo, I don't even want to... La Gusha Nilang. Where the sun sets. So it was written... And also you said in an, an interview that I read before that mm. you want to make stories that shine light on the feminine voice yes. and on the African voice. Yes. So why... What was the... Okay, first of all, tell us what your movie is about mm-hmm. and then what was the inspiration behind choosing this spe- specific topic? Um, so it's about a young black nurse during the 1980s in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And she basically, <clears throat> her brother goes missing and she has to figure out like what happened to him and how to, to save him. Mm-hmm. And he's also an activist. So there's also this other level of danger. And it was inspired by my mom and her brother, actually. Oh, yeah. Is it like a real life? Are we watching like a biopic, it's basically? Be- <laughs> it's not like 100% mm-hmm. uh, biopic, but it is it is inspired by a specific incident in my mom and brother's life where she saw him getting taken by apartheid cops mm-hmm. and then she had to basically save him. That is... Insane. Okay, yeah, it's insane. a wild one. <laughs> that is really cool. I feel like the best stories come from personal because yes. apartheid people only think of certain icons or like mm-hmm. there were ten people who were affected by it. But these are the personal stories that are so much more interesting to me. I agree. Um and congratulations on all your awards. She is an Thank NAACP you. award winner. I think you won a student Oscar. You were nominated for the, the big boy Oscars. <laughs> Shortlisted. Um, <laughs> Shortlisted. But what is I mean okay, so what is next? Like, are you not intimidated by your own previous success of like, now that I've been nominated, won awards, how can I keep that up? <laughs> it, it is intimidating and it is, um, it does put a lot of pressure mm-hmm. um, because now it's like, I can't just like do my work in silence, like by myself now, like people are watching. <laughs> yeah, and every time you put something, it's NAACP award winner. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is like a lot of pressure, but what I'm trying to do is kind of do it for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this next project is something that I'm just keen on yeah. and not put the pressure of whether other people are going to like it or not. Mm-hmm. Because like when you do that, then you just go crazy. <laughs> You really do. So, and reading feedback is just like the worst thing you can do as a creative. Like sometimes now I just post and go, post and go. Your, your <laughs> feedback. There's actually this like website, now I forget the name, where um, audiences can like review films. Mm-hmm. And because our film is shortlisted for the Oscars, um, a lot of the Oscar films were getting uh, reviewed there. 
And I was reading some of this stuff. I was like, wow, people can be so mean. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's like not even about critique because everybody needs to get feedback. Yeah. But sometimes people just go out of their way to be super yes. mean and cutting. Yeah, it's like not even constructive, at just all. mean. <laughs> yeah. And it got to the point where like my friends are like, Pumi, you need to just like stop reading that stuff mm-hmm. and just get on with your work. So yeah, you can't you can't make stuff based on like what people are gonna be yeah. saying and yeah. So now your next project, are you the kind of are you gonna make all your movies centered around sort of personal stories, um, or is it just a date? Like, what is your genre or and uh, your interest? So I I guess I'm generally interested in a lot of things. Uh, sure. So it's not just personal stories and it's not just historical, but it definitely is stuff set in South Africa mm-hmm. um, and with strong female voices. You may want to listen for the entire episode because every story has a plot twist. So now as a, I mean, I guess I can call you a Hollywood producer now, <laughs> Hollywood director, writer, is your um, intention to, because I know your first film was made in Soweto, mm-hmm. using local you know, languages, local um, actors, is that kind of the route you want to take? Or is it just like, I'm going to see, depending on the project, depending on what's needed, you know, then the choices will be made. Um, I mean, I definitely want to just reflect what is true to South Africa. So mm-hmm. definitely always local languages and local actors. And also um, my goal is to elevate, um, you know, our local talent yeah. as well. So that's why I'm definitely always going to choose South African talent first. Um, and even with the last film that I did, um, it was like a majority, actually pretty much all the crew was South African okay. except for, um, the cinematographer and the producer who came from my film school in mm-hmm. California because this was my thesis film. So, yeah, it's definitely about elevating local languages, local stories, local talent. Um, yeah. Just FYI, I happen to be local talent. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just if you wanted to know. Um, yeah, so I wanted to stick with um, women in, in storytelling. And I mean, I, I suppose because you haven't worked in the industry in South Africa, it's a lot more difficult maybe to have that conversation. But where do you think um, sort of the film industry is going with women's storytellers, women's storytelling? Do you think we're at the point where there is actually real diversity or real um, inclusion? I think... Not to put this topic on your shoulders. No, no, it's okay. I think, okay, we definitely have a long way to go, but I think the awareness is there that it's needed Mm -hmm. and the efforts, like people are starting to make those efforts or they have been trying to make those efforts. So I think definitely there's progress, but a long way to go, especially with women behind the camera. Um there's just such yeah. a need for women directors, women writers, women producers. And I know like that there's efforts to, to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the the series and why I wanted to include sort of business stories or personal um, stories is because I felt like everybody that I spoke to wanted to be an actor. Mm. And maybe it's because the only thing that South Africans get, you know, um, aware of like, oh, this is a star. This is what you want to be. But I just felt like there's no one in every time I have to go do a job, a man is the one who's pressing the mic on my boobs. And I'm just like, mm. where are the women in sound? Because this would be so much more comfortable. Or where are the women cinematographers? Like, is it because they're not there or because people are not hiring them? Or because as students, when you leave school, 
all you see is what is celebrated and that's the person in front of the camera. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would love to do more series, more, I don't know what, even in my last, last dream, it's like there's an academy that has just girls and it's oh. focused on creating women who work behind the scenes. Um, yeah, that would be so great. I know. I've had my Oprah dream for years. Hopefully hopefully one day, but you know. Yes, <laughs> yes steps that, to go that will then. happen. It's out in the it universe. Is, it is it's out happening. there. <laughs> America first, and then we come back and open the school. Um, okay, so what would you say to people, you know, coming up where... I think because if you were in your late 20s and you did say, you know, you didn't want to be necessarily in a school with, with matriculants, but who, women who want to make a pivot at a mm. later stage in life, who decide that what they're doing now is just not working. Mm. Do you have any advice as to what to do in that situation? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that um, just the advice that a friend of mine gave me, mm-hmm. which was, what would you regret not doing one day and go and do that thing and it does like take a lot of courage and you do have to you know look at the financial situation that you're going to Mm. be in and make plans because like when i went to film school i only had enough savings to last me like the first semester. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, it's so expensive there though. Oh my gosh. Yo, it's so expensive. Well. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to like figure out, okay, how am I going to get funding for this? Mm. Um, so I had to, you know, look at like research bursaries and scholarships and all of that and be constantly, I had to apply for that like every year and I was doing three years of film school. So I had to apply uh-huh. for stuff every year and, and also like I had to work um, jobs while I was at, at film school as well. Like I worked on campus. And so it's definitely you have to prepare yourself mm. financially and prepare yourself mentally for that financial hit. It is really hard. I won't lie. <laughs> and also the fact that your life will be very different for those years. Yes. Unless your pivot is something that, you know, is already going to bring in money. Then that's From day just one, another it's, it's story. quite unlikely. I mean, good yeah. luck. Because for me, when I left, I didn't have a plan. Yeah. I was working behind the scenes, but it was very much a thankless job. And I just felt like I'm writing for presenters yeah. scripts. And people would be like, oh, they're so funny. Or this person's so funny. And I was like, no, I am. I'm writing the script. I can do it myself. Um, So I left without a plan, without a job. I was just like, I just can't do this. I just can't watch Mm. other people live my dream off my words and stuff. So I just kind of, I left. I was very broke. I was, at some point I even thought, okay, I need to look for a job again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then luckily, just when the desperation level, because I also had a supportive mother and luckily had someone who was like, look, try but mm. there is a deadline and then you're gonna have to go back to work yeah um and then luckily at that point of like okay fuck i have to go back Kels just then blew up but <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time and it was three years of like struggle and brokenness and mm. mental health decline and just like not yeah. knowing what was next and will it actually happen for me just because i want it yeah um so yeah what would you say to people in those situations where it's like sure it's just not working Yeah, that is very... (laughs) (laughs) Seemingly not working because you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, you never know. I mean, yeah, so I would say you just have to keep going because the whole thing about um, these kinds of sort of pivots and these kind of jobs and um, sort of pursuits is that it requires perseverance Mm. and it requires staying power. And a lot of the time what they say like in the film industry, for example, is that the people who make it 
are the ones who just stayed long enough to keep fighting. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, so that's how I'd encourage people is just like persevere. And it's tough. I won't lie. You can't candy coat how hard it is to do this kind of stuff. I mean, my the first year after I graduated, like I was living month to month, actually. Because <laughs> like the funny thing is like the film was like doing all these awards circuits and getting all this press, but I was living month to month. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think people realize like that I'm financially distressed. <laughs> and that the awards don't really show the bank account. Yeah. Like, and Oscar doesn't come with like a million dollars. No, it doesn't. And so um yeah, it was it was really, really tough. I had actually I had two jobs mm-hmm. actually, uh while I was in LA. Um and what were you was, doing? So one of them, I, so, okay, when you enter the film industry as a newbie, you get like the bottom of the bottom kind of job. So I was an assistant, um, at, at a sales company. Um, they like sell films around the world. And then I was also working for this company that, um, finances films by African women. Okay. Yeah. And that was cool because I got to use my business skills Mm -hmm. for that. Um, and that one, I had a more senior role, which is nice. Um, but it was also a startup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, startups don't have money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of why I had to have two jobs. And so, so when I, people ask me about like, you know, entering the film industry, mm-hmm. I try and like, tell them look it's not just all sunshine and roses pursuing your dreams (laughs) isn't always sometimes you have to make coffee for people and sometimes you have to sweep set after people leave and I just had to like steam clothes and tape shoes that's what I first did yeah and nobody it's funny because no one in the film industry took into account my previous work experience nobody gives a fuck that you're a financial guru yeah they don't care they're like this is something else starting from scratch and I'm like oh, you're 32 why am I like yes. in an intern's job girl yeah. start again yes it's it's hard and so, and the hard thing about that as well is the friends that or your peers that you left in the industry that you mm. left they're progressing they're buying cars they have apartments oh my god and you're like yeah. yo I'm still like living month to month <laughs> So it's and that's also hard for parents because mm. they they know your peers, right? And they're like, and they know oh, where you so left. And they like, know now you're like, oh, you see, you see. <laughs> yeah. So that's really hard. That's actually one of the. Sometimes I'd have to like turn off social media, like, like sort of log out of my app for a month or two, just yeah. to like not compare myself to what other people were doing oh, and just hardest. like stick to my path. Yeah. So between the time of the film, when. When did the first successes come? Because in my head, <laughs> in what I've read, I think it's like went to school, graduated, won an Oscar kind of thing or in WACP and is now here. Like what was the actual length of time in this journey? So um, school officially ended in May 2020. But because of the pandemic, um, I graduated in August. Okay. And then um, I think the first kind of major award was maybe the following year, May, June. Okay. And in between, we weren't seeing that much traction. And I was just like, oh, maybe this film is like, you know, Not as good as mediocre. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe it's mediocre. I don't know. 
Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, at least we tried, mm. you know. So I think between August and May, June, that's kind of how I was feeling. Um, and then I think the first thing was the Student BAFTA Awards. I'm not even a BAFTA girl. You were in <laughs> London? You were in LA? Okay. Yeah, so that was like, so we got on, we found out we were shortlisted and I was like, oh, this film is actually like something. Okay. And, and it's also <laughs> so nice that a, a Tosa film is making yes. waves in London, making waves in LA. Yeah. Like that is, that is just incredible. Yeah. That really blew my mind away, you know, and I think also I was nervous about that because I was doing film school in the US and it was like a huge kind of leap to convince my school to let me shoot a South African film in South oh, Africa. Really? Yeah, it was. I had to jump through hoops. Why to... do they not want authentic stories? What is it just everybody has to make an LA or Hollywood type of film? It wasn't that it was more just like logistically they okay. felt like um they wanted people to shoot in California. Um, and they were like, you can just recreate South Africa and California. And I was like, no, I cannot. Like, Continents where to do not look alike, no matter what. Yeah, I, w- I even like went out and like tried and looked for places. And I was like, no, it's not going to work, you know. So um, it was more just logistics. And they were just like scared to like allow these students to just fly across the world mm. without any, you know, supervisors. <laughs> like insurance for yeah. South Africa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that was hard to to get that to happen. But, you know, one of the things that I also thought in that process was, oh, I'm making the South African story, but I'm based in the U.S. I wonder if people even care, mm. you know, but I just thought, you know what? I care. This is my thesis. The stakes are low. <laughs> yeah, just want to graduate. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, it's just a story I really, really wanted to tell. Mm. And so... To see that getting the international attention was just mind blowing mm. to me. Yeah, because I was like, it's a, it's a story about a black African woman in the 1980s <laughs> in Soweto. <laughs> yeah, and there's hardly any English yeah. as well. So it was really mind blowing. So living in LA, you, I mean, the the choice of making this movie was there never any pressure for you to be like. Let me not sell out because, you know, people making Hollywood-esque films or English films is not necessarily a sellout if that's what you want to do. But um, any point where you were like, okay, let me just do what is easiest. I'm in California. I can make a story about a nurse in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely was that temptation because it was easier. But And I had, like, done a few student films throughout my, my film school degree at, that were based in America. Mm. But... I felt like the most authentic version of me as a storyteller was telling stories from home. Mm. And so I felt like, you know, I could do this. I could tell an American story, but it just doesn't feel like me. And then at the same time, I was also feeling like, you know, I almost felt a responsibility to tell South African stories as well. Um, so yeah, that's why I just decided to take the risk to do it. <laughs> I think for me, like my biggest fear, because I want to tell South African stories and yeah. also, especially that kind of thing of like unsung apartheid heroes who aren't necessarily heroes. It wasn't struggle things, just somebody living their life, you know, like my grandfather's story. Oh, I'm not going to say it on air because someone's going to steal this idea, <laughs> but I'll talk to you afterwards. <laughs> but just wanting to tell those stories, but I was always so scared of like, how does it translate there? And why mm. would I move that side to then tell? 
stories that people might not understand and then I'd have to maybe make it an English version or an American version. Um, so have, have you never thought about that or felt that pressure to to translate your stories into English to make it in America? Oh, yes. I mean, I did have people telling me, why is this in a South African language? You should make it in English. Mm. And I was like, that's just like not authentic because people in the 80s are not going to be speaking English majority of the time like we do today. Mm. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and so for me, it was more about, I guess it was also an experiment, you know, because it was the first time I was sticking to my guns mm-hmm. of telling the story that I thought needed to be told. And because the stakes are so low, it's just a student film. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had the room to just take those risks. And so it was actually like a good experiment to see what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And luckily, like, it turned out well, but it also, it's not, I don't think it's something that has always been the case as well. Mm. It's just also a stroke of luck that I told that story at this particular point in time where the world is opening up to international stories. Um, I even came across people saying, you know, if this was seven years ago, the story wouldn't have gone that far. Yeah. But now people's minds Africa's are Africa's kind of a trend right now as well, which is really cool. Yeah, we are trending right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say like that, but it's cool. Like, yeah. you know, these festivals in America, I mean, I think Burner Boy just sold out Madison Square Garden or Wizkid. One of them was the first African artist. A Nigerian singing Nigerian music in mm. New York and selling out would never happen also seven years ago. So yeah. I really feel like we're like, on vogue right now and I'm yes. I'm loving this moment for us. Yeah, it's a great moment and we all need to be able to make the most of it. Mm. Yeah. So what is one of um let's talk role models. Yeah. I know I don't like that word, but like whatever it is what it is. Or mentors or just people whose careers you look at and you say, That's that girl for me. Mm. Um or man I guess. But I'd love to I'd love it if it was a woman. Um, yes. <laughs> who are the people you look at in film, um, directing, creating, writing, mm-hmm. who you say, I want to be that person in ten years, five years? Yeah, I mean there's a few people. Um Chloe Zhao is one of them. Mm. Um, like I think she went to NYU and she made um, some like independent artistic films like for the first two or three films and then she like made this Marvel movie (laughs) (laughs) so and everyone was like oh Chloe Zhao this artsy director is making a Marvel movie Mm. wow you know and I love that I love that she could do anything you know and so that's kind of one of the people I follow in, in, in this terms of my tastes are both like artistic nouveau kind mm. of films but I also love superhero films I love fantasy sci-fi and so give I us an African superhero movie I mean dude. not Black Panther I mean like a like, superhero from Soweto <laughs> yes yes I am all for that kind of storytelling um, so like one day I hope that I can do that and people also like I guess Jane Campion mm-hmm. she just won best um, director at the Oscars and she's always it's funny because this film was the first I heard her say it's the first film where she had a male lead mm-hmm. but all of her films and enti- throughout her entire career ha- have always been these like subversive female characters and female characters that you just never would expect to see on screen like she's yeah. always got this very interesting like eccentric and dark uh, characters um, and so she's also one of my inspirations um Ava DuVernay 
She's just one thing I really love about her mm. is she's not just a filmmaker. She also empowers other women. Mm. So she makes an effort on like the TV shows that she does to hire women directors. Yeah. And she's got like, um, she makes a lot of effort to empower uh, people of color as well. So I really just love her, not just like the films that she makes, but also just like the mission that yeah. she has. I also like the similarity between the two of you in that. Oh. I know. Okay. <laughs> I'll receive. <laughs> I'll receive, girl. Um, but just in the way, because you mentioned her now, and I was like, okay, I can see why. Her storytelling is always about these stories that, that black people know, mm-hmm. but we don't really discuss or that the mainstream world doesn't know. So like mm-hmm. when they see us was... We know, I know that story about Central Park Five. It's been something that I've, I grew up, my mom spoke to me about. But it was not a story that white people necessarily know. And so mm. taking these stories of apartheid again, or I guess the civil rights movement, or you know, just racism in general, and putting them on the public stage, but not in the way that people expect, and not with the same characters, but Martin Luther and Mandela. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that in your guys' storytelling, both oh, of you. Yeah, no, she's she's very inspiring and, and the work she does has social impact, mm. which is it's something you can only like hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so what is next for Pumi Murray LA Hollywood <laughs> director? <laughs> What's next? So, um, it's I mean, other than the 17 movies you're working on currently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's literally what's next. It's the short film I'm trying to shoot um, by the end of this year uh, that we're finishing financing for. It's these two feature films that I'm writing. I get to flex some of my muscles in other genres, which is what I am keen for. <laughs> that is amazing. And, I mean, I should have probably started with this, but... Anecdotal time. Um, Pumi's parents are both doctors. My parents are both doctors. <laughs> My mom, actually, when I was leaving today, I was like, okay, I'm going to go interview Pumi, whatever. And she set this up kind of. I think she and your aunt were like, mm-hmm. let's get these girls to meet because yes. what? They're interested <laughs> in the same things and we're interested in each other and like, let's make this happen. Mm-hmm. But um, she told me that at boarding school, your mom was kind of like her boarding school mom, even though they were both wow. students. So like a matric would maybe take on a grade eight baby or yes. just. A, a junior um, and your mom was that person to my mom so that was really oh, really weird because I, I was like that. what I'm gonna tell this my world mom. she was just <laughs> like tell her she was so nice to me and she protected oh. me and so it's I mean the smallness of this world is just it always shocks me yeah <laughs> it is so small yeah, yeah. the parallels and we went to boarding school in the same area yes um, you were at my I guess it was at a rival school did we even have rivalries as girls it Yes, we did. It was. A, I remember it being a rival school because <laughs> I was there only from grade ten to twelve. So for me, it was just like, like, can I just finish and get out of here? Yeah, <laughs> mind-blowingly racist and small-minded, and I can't yeah, stand it. But gosh, goodness, I just like yeah. So having gone to the same schools, having the sim- similar parents, a similar story of pivoting, I was just like, okay, yeah. God, I get it. I'll interview her. <laughs> yeah, and I just felt like so honored because I, when my aunt was telling me about you, I was like, oh my gosh, I love her. She like <laughs> inspires me so much. Oh, I really oh. look up to you and like the incredible work you do. You're super smart and savvy and hilarious and just like, yeah, so Black definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I feel honored because I definitely like look up to you and also just when I think about my career um, and just like watching the things that you've done it's very inspiring 
Okay. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say because I was going to say all of that to you. What? Okay. Yes. Like, I was like, okay, after this, I need to go pick her brain because <laughs> I need to get out of here. I'm going to write something. I'm, I, I just want to spend some time. And I also don't feel like South Africa is, you know, bottom of the barrel. There are lots of problems right now and it's mainly our leadership. But I do see myself also hopefully affording a bi-coastal experience mm. or bi-continental um, life. But really, I, I, when I read your articles... Um, and my mom told me about you for the first time. I've been like, oh my god, she's who I want to be when I grow up. Wait, <laughs> We're like the what? Same age. That is so weird because I talk to people about you, like even in the US. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to like watch this thing. Girl. Like it's so hilarious. She's so good. Like I can't wait to see where her career is going. So okay, for me, we're in love, <laughs> and we need to collaborate because this is like yes. embarrassing for the listeners. But <laughs> thank you so much for making time in your. Clearly very busy schedule. Um, it is a Saturday for those of you who don't know. It's a Saturday morning and she made time for me. So thank you so much for coming to Convos and Cocktails. I hope you enjoyed your cocktail. It's yes. still very full. Um, I mean, Ish, yeah. It's because we're talking so much. <laughs> That's true. And we still, I mean, we're going to go for a little drink now if you're free. Yes, um, I'm asking you out on the radio. Um, <laughs> but to those listening, thank you so much for joining us on another amazing episode of Convos and Cocktails. I hope you remember it's never too late to pivot. It's never too late to start again and your dreams are valid good night goodbye oh it might be the daytime bye, <laughs> bye. <laughs> convos and cocktails produced in partnership with the sukhotabi and wmg rep drinks never end at the bar so join me over at the socials with your cocktail where we get to continue the conversations simply follow me at the sukhotabi see you there recorded at solid gold podcasts solid gold to be understood you must first be heard i look forward to our next convos and cocktails and don't forget mo money mojito or whatever biggie said <laughs>